you have any Minnesota topic ideas? Uh, you want to talk about working yourself into a shoot? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Explain all that to me and we'll see where we go with it. All right. All right. So um, what I love, Joe, and this is happening on Twitter and, and other places, is the pro, pro wrestling discourse is really being elevated to a high level to, <laughs> and, and used to explain theological, psychological and political things that are happening. Um, uh, and and it, I'm not saying it started with me. It probably didn't. But uh, <laughs> but but I love that it's happening nonetheless. Um, and there is uh, a, a phrase that, that I think is, is in pro wrestling that I think really just um, describes what we are seeing in the political world and in the, you know, the religious world a lot, uh, which is working yourself into a shoot. Um, there's some words in there that you know already based on our past episodes, right? Like yeah, we know, I know we what know a shoot is. Yep, a shoot and a work. You know, or a work is whenever you do something within the confines of kayfabe, and a shoot is when you break. You're doing something outside the confines of kayfabe. Um, there's a great little moment uh, in the '90s, in the late '90s, where the WWE tried this uh, real prize fighting thing, where they they asked a bunch of lower card guys if they'd be interested in being in a real televised prize fighting tournament. And they were like, sure. And it's just an absolutely God awful idea. It lost the company a million dollars. Like one of the big guy people that they hired, Dr. Death, Steve Williams was his name. They put him in the, in the thing and they were like, Oh, I'm sure he'll win this, but it was a shoot fight. Like that they put on TV and Dr. Death, Steve Williams, like, his ACL and got knocked out like in front of the world. Ugh. You know, it's just this awful thing. Not, it did nobody any good. But but in that fight, in the fight that Dr. Destiny Williams tears his ACL and gets knocked out, he's going up against this low-card guy named um, Bart Gunn. And Bart Gunn has just spent the last like six years of his life in kayfabe being this low-card wrestler that nobody believes could beat anybody but it's a shoot fight and bart gunn can fight like in real life <laughs> and so and so uh there's a story that bart tells him and steve williams are fighting and bart gunn like like dodges like a punch and just punches steve williams right in the face and steve williams just falls down he's not like totally knocked out but he's like totally rocked and and Steve looks up at him and goes, "Damn, brother! <laughs> like, like, what are you doing?" And and Bart's like, Bart's like, "I don't know what you want, man. It's not like we're working. You know, this is a shoot. You know, and and like, and I think that just captures it really good. It's not like we're working here. <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's it's a great it's a great like phrase because it means two things at once, right? Like, on one hand, it's not like it's a work. It's not like in the pro wrestling slang." It's not like we're, we're working a match. But then on the other side of it, it, it also could mean, you know, going to work, right? Like both of those phrases mean the same thing in pro wrestling world. Right. You know, it's not like we're working. And uh, 
Um, so the idea of working yourself into a shoot in pro wrestling is when the work um, not only leads to a real life thing, um, which there are plenty of stories. Some of the best pro wrestling stories are that, right? Like where, where the heel works the crowd into being like, we got to kill this guy <laughs> right? because he's the real villain. Like that's, that's working yourself into a shoot. But, but then there's also far more like kind of scary sort of off the rails things. Um, there's a story that's a part of a larger, very terrible story in pro wrestling um, that I won't go into right now, but I will tell a terrible story if you're interested. Um, just sure, not this one. Um, uh, in the early 90s, there's a, one of my all-time favorite wrestlers is a guy by the name of Chris Benoit. And Chris, right. Benoit's, Chris Benoit's story ends horrifically tragically, which I won't tell. It, I might cry if I tell it because it's a very sad story and it's awful. But Chris Benoit in the early 90s is feuding with another wrestler named Kevin Sullivan. And Kevin Sullivan is both a wrestler and the booker for WCW. So he books the matches for WCW. Um, and Kevin's a pretty decent booker. Uh, and Kevin has this idea where um, Kevin Sullivan's valet, his, his manager, is a, a lady whose ring name is woman that's that's her name woman okay and woman woman is like this very glamorous very sadistic very like like pristine like she's the essence of woman that's like her that's like her thing right you know that's why she just calls herself woman and and kevin sullivan books this feud with him and chris benoit where chris benoit uh steals woman from him and and they like have this on-screen relationship and and like Kevin Sullivan has to fight Chris Benoit for for woman right um in real life Kevin Sullivan and woman are married oh and then in real life woman divorces Kevin Sullivan to marry Chris Benoit and so <laughs> yeah like, yeah huh? like okay. and so Kevin Sullivan booked his own divorce <laughs> wow. uh, uh, or or we might say kevin sullivan worked himself into a shoot that you makes know, sense okay where, i follow this all now yeah yeah, yeah. You know what i'm saying mm -hmm. where where the and and there's actually a match between them at a pay-per-view after all of this happened where like kevin sullivan and chris benoit beat the living snot out of each other like in a match like in a worked match like suddenly, suddenly Chris, you know, Kevin Sullivan does a chair shot that is unprotected and Chris on Chris Benoit's head and Benoit like looks at him. He's got blood trickling down his, his was like, is like, you know, forehead. He just looks at him. And then suddenly the punches are not worked anymore. And like Kevin Sullivan's nose breaks and like everything just like, like it, it's like goes nuts. And the crowd's like, wow, it looks so real tonight. <laughs> you know? Cause they don't know what's happening behind the scenes, but like in these documentaries, you find out like, Oh, that's what's happening. Mm, that's not good. Yeah. Oh, I don't. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very bad. Let me tell you, let me tell you a longer form story about this. And then I want to reflect on this 
kind of in that sinister way um, when it comes to politics and religion. So Bret Hart, mm-hmm. we already talked about the Montreal screw job on this feed. Bret Hart has a younger brother named Owen. Owen Hart uh, was a very talented wrestler. He, he never got as popular as Bret, but Owen Hart was the youngest Hart sibling, you know, the, the, the baby of the family of 13 and uh, well-loved by, by the family and ultimately was, was well-loved by the fans. But Owen Hart comes into the WWE, you know, kind of in the late 80s, as a masked wrestler named the Blue Bomber. Okay. And um, for folks who like watched Owen wrestle in Canada, like it, it was fascinating. Like Chris Jericho will sometimes talk about that. Like Chris Jericho remembers being a kid and watching Owen Hart wrestle in Canada and being a big Owen Hart fan. And then like turning on WWF a few months later and watching the blue bomber and then and chris jericho remembers being like 12 and going that's owen hart like he's got a full mask on but like he just wrestled like owen hart he's like that's definitely owen hart like like holy shit owen hart's in the wwf and it's this really great thing you know it's it's it's, it's he, people loved him he mm-hmm. unmasks and he becomes he reveals himself as owen hart you know bret hart's younger brother and when Brett becomes a single star and breaks up the Hart Foundation tag team, Owen takes Brett's place. And so Owen and his brother-in-law, Jim, the Anvil Nightheart, become the new Hart Foundation. And, you know, and, and, and you have this like counter story as Brett has his meteoric rise in the early 90s. Owen is sort of figuring things out and, and you know, getting popular in his own way. And it culminates into a... Uh, in the in the early middle 90s in 93 94 it culminates into owen hart's major heel turn okay where owen uh becomes a bad guy and and screws his brother out of the world title and uh it's a really great angle if i was really honest with you um it, it, i love the angle i love going back and watching it because Owen does a really good job, you know, it, he, he really plays up the, you know, I've lived in your shadow my whole life, Brett. Like, it's a very simple story, right? But, but he plays it up very, very well. Um, and, and, you know, and, and for like a year, like, he makes it very psychological. He turns the Hart family against Brett, you know, and, and, and the Hart family has to t- take sides. Some of the Hart family sides with Owen. Some of them side with Brett. Uh, Helen Hart, their mom. There's this great promo of Helen and Stu Hart, you know, 75-year-old Helen and Stu Hart sitting in the Hart family house. And Helen is just weeping openly as her family is torn apart. It's very dramatic. You know, it's very great. And and it, and it, it, it all ends with this. The, the main part of the feud sort of ends in WrestleMania 10 in 1994, with a, a singles match between Owen Hart and Bret Hart for no title. It's just, it's just a match. And, and it's a beautifully worked match show. It's so dramatic. It's so great. The storytelling is out of this world. They're both very good wrestlers. So it looks really good, but like Bret refuses to fight Owen. You know, I won't fight. Use my brother. I'm not fighting him. And like, and Owen is just 
taunting Brett and like all this great stuff. And and Owen wins the match. Owen wins the feud. Oh wow! You know, it, it's it's really it's really powerful. It's really fascinating. Um, and then after he wins the feud, like he turns babyface again, and different things happen. Owen is by Brett's side as Shawn Michaels, you know, comes up and you know, and and they form uh, like a, a can a Canadian only group. <laughs> <laughs> In like the late '90s, you know, before Brett gets screwed, like they come out with big Canadian flags. Uh, Owen Hart has this really fun run. Actually, it's sort of brilliant. So Owen Hart has this run after he turns heel and then eventually turns babyface again. He calls himself the Black Heart, which mm. is which is a really which is really simple and pretty brilliant. Black Heart, Owen Hart, you know. And, and he joins, as the Blackheart, he joins the Nation of Domination, which is a pro wrestling staple of, of that, that is supposed to be like the Black Panthers. It's just of black wrestlers. And so he's the only white guy in the Nation of Domination. They let him in. Um, uh, and that was the Rock's first group, too. Like the Rock gets his first break as being the youngest member of the Nation of Domination. Hmm. Um, you know, these like Black Panther militant black guys and Owen Hart, the Black Heart, you know, is the <laughs> becomes a member of the Nation of Domination. And it's this big deal. And, you know, he, he, he cuts promos about, you know, black liberation. And, and it's kind of cool. It's interesting. Um, but like so he has this career and is involved with all these things. We we you know, he, he, he does his stuff and then Brett gets screwed for the Montreal screw job and he gets thrown out, you know, Brett leaves and Owen sort of now has to figure out what he's going to do. Like storyline wise, they, they kind of make Owen prove himself. Like that's how they do it. Like, okay, Owen, are you going to be, are you going to side with your brother? Are you going to be a WWE guy through and through? And they kind of make Owen do these storyline things where he's trying to get revenge for Brett, but is also trying to prove himself, you know, as this wrestler in the WWE. And uh, the other thing that ends up happening is they punish Owen because he's related to Brett. And they make Owen become the blue bomber again. Uh, that mass wrestler he used to be. And so they kind of turn him into this comedy act as the blue bomber and they don't let him, you know, show his face anymore. And he has to, he becomes like a superhero. It's like a comedy silly gimmick. And it was, it's a, it's, it's a low blow. Like it's, it's Owen, Owen didn't need to do that. But what they did was they, they'd have Owen Hart come in from the rafters like a superhero. So he'd come down on like a, like a, like a harness, right? And he'd come in and that's how he'd come into the ring. Um, and so in 1999, they're at a pay-per-view and Owen, you know, is in the harness and, and Jim Ross, you know, the commentator is talking, you know, to, to the, to on commentary, like as they're setting up for this Owen Hart match, right? And uh, Jim Ross is talking and he's setting up the match. Nobody is in the ring yet except for the referee. 
and uh, Jim Ross looks up to watch Owen Hart fall 100 feet from the rafter and die. What? On national television. You know, and pay- on pay-per-view. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And and like you know the the arena of course you know cries out in terror like like it, it happens in front of everybody and he just and he just hits he hits the ground the last thing anybody last thing Jim Ross heard was Owen Hart yelling look out because he didn't want to hurt anybody and he just falls right on his back and is in the middle of the ring now this is absolutely horrific and awful um, as we know what what makes this uh, sort of this you know, kind of despicable, terrible pro wrestling story is uh, Vince didn't stop the show. Oh, no. And so, so Owens, at this point, so Owens in the ring, the referee just barely misses getting hit by Owen. And they're calling in medical people and, and, and Jim Ross, you know, and, and his and Jerry Lawler, who's the other guy on commentary, are just kind of watching, you know, and they can't, they sort of, they're trying to talk people through it. People are talking to Jim Ross on his headset, like, talk people through it, say what you're seeing, let them know that medical professionals are getting there right now. You know, and, and Jim Ross sells that to the pay-per-view crowd, right, to the people who bought the pay-per-view. Um, and, and you know, they're getting Owen on the, you know, on a stretcher and they're carrying him out. And, and different people are, you know, different people backstage are like, what the hell is going on? Like, how did this even happen? You know, what, 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 is, what is going on? What's happening? And um, a couple minutes go by and, and Vince, you know, gets on the headset to Jim Ross and he goes, okay, Jim, we're going to the next match. And Jim Ross is like, whoa, what? Like, like, you know, he kind of is like, he kind of says, you know, to the back to the headset what do you mean i don't know what's going on like i gotta tell the people what's going on you know and and vince is like well he's dead owen's dead and you're on in 10 9 8 7 uh, and and jim ross like looks at the camera and just has to say it he's like i i it's i can't believe i have to say this but Owen Hart has died. He he's fallen from the rafters and he is dead. You know, and 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 Jim Ross talks about it and he's like in an interview and he's like, it's easily the worst day of my life. Like it's easily the worst day of my life. To what you heard on camera was uh, ten seconds of preparation. Wow. After they told me, you know, he's like, easily the worst day of my life. Easily the worst day of my life. Uh, and they continue the show. So wow. it turns out it turns out that the reason why this happened is because Vince didn't like that the blue bomber gimmick took so long to get out of his harness after he lands. He said it didn't look good enough. And so he wanted to switch out the carabiner for a quick release carabiner. Oh no. We only know this because Owen Hart's late wife conducted a private investigation of this whole thing and discovered all of this. 
and dragged Vince to court and Vince won. Wow. It's an absolutely awful story. I mean, it's, it's like JR says, it's the, it was the worst day of his life. It might be the worst day in all the professional wrestling. Like, like it, it could easily be the worst day in all the professional wrestling. Like it's, it's, it's so awful, you know, and, and so neglectful and so terrible. Um, like Owens, Owens, what late wife starts the Owen Hart foundation, you know, to, uh, I forget exactly what it does, but it's, it's really great, you know, and, and Owen's son goes on to become like a, 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 an injury lawyer that works pro bono for people who are injured by major corporations and companies and, and stuff like that. Like o- Owen's uh, daughter who looks just like him, like it's hard, hard to watch. Like Owen's daughter goes on to be a journalist and an investigative reporter and, and like, is responsible for like digging up, you know, all of these similar stories among different like factories and people like covering up, you know, factory injuries and death and stuff like that. Like, like none of them are in the wrestling world. They all disappear entirely. The Hart family themselves have distanced themselves from Owens kids and late wife because they're exposing the business, Mm. which is just, that shit you know but the point of how it makes the story so terrible is it's working if Vince McMahon has worked them in, worked himself into a shoot the carabiner isn't working it doesn't look real enough change the rigging system so you can escape quicker and then he dies like that's really just the answer Joe like like that's that's not up for debate like the investigators already shown that that's true. Um, and then he died. Keep the work going. No, no, we're still doing a show next match. You know, like what? Huh? Awful. Just awful. Um, like I think about that and we, we, we can, we can rest on that for a little while if we need to, but I think about that every time I think about like, Tucker Carlson telling people not to get a vaccine. Right? Like, right. like we are being worked into a shoot. You know, or or these politicians and clergy people are working. They're working us. They're lying. We're in kayfabe. It's all it's all fake until suddenly it becomes real and people are dying or people are being threatened, right? And, and it's, and, and, and it really does happen. Like not only have we seen it happen, but like there's precedent for it in the very industry that like invents the terminologies that I'm using to describe what's going on. Being worked into a shoot means that it's all spiraling out of control. And, and now we're in real world land with real world consequences. Right. Uh, Just like, Owen Hart falling to his death because we need to, we need to work it. You know, it needs to be worked correctly. Yeah. Hmm. I, yeah. I, like I, I, I really get why, um, 
why <laughs> there's a uh, there's kind of this need to use pro wrestling language for this because it, it is just, uh, it, it's such a clear distillation of like the, the kind of dynamics at play. Uh, oh. <sighs> yeah, because because people are really willing to just let other people die um, if it means that they, could continue to have the power, have the money, have the the station that they have. Um, yeah, it's just so callous. It's just, I, and like, and and we say callous, and we say all these things, but like, we, as as hard as that story is to listen to, it is this very clear, um, I, like it's it hits the the same emotional notes um that that we need because i i think that we are because we are so frustrated with the the tucker carlson's of the world who are vaccinated but telling people not to get vaccinated um uh, we that frustration has been around for so long that like and and we've lived with this pandemic for long enough that like the deaths are just expected yeah but to but to then draw it into like here was one person who died because someone worked themselves into a shoot and how many other people that we don't have that emotional connection with that we haven't seen that we we don't know the whole story we don't know the whole impact um but like their lives are being ruined just the same for the same selfish purposes um uh, yeah Man, I humans are awful. <laughs> humans are awful. <laughs> I like, I oh, I just don't know what to do with with all this. Like, uh, man, man. Yeah. Uh, it's the kind of thing that makes you want to believe in in eternal conscious torment. <laughs> in eternal conscious torment. Well, I mean, like, I I understand that because I think that like uh, Hannah Arendt used to talk about like the banality of evil like like to to an extent evil uh evil has more in common with like calculating boardroom meetings than it does like the joker mm-hmm. right like like how does evil happen well evil happens mostly after a form is signed <laughs> right like after a bureaucrat uh um does his job and then goes home you know and then evil happens right like because of because that because it's bureaucratized and it's set up in these sort of banal ways and uh i think i see a lot of that now you know as well like like that's always been that way but but the the kind of the kind of just casual this is my job, right? Like, why why are politicians and religious leaders um, lying and pretending and 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 manipulating? Why are they doing that? What's their what's their goal? Well, we're already we're already not thinking correctly, you know. Mm-hmm. The goal what? And this is another way where I think 
pro wrestling language is really helpful. What is the goal? Well, the, the goal is to make money. You know, the goal, yeah, to entertain us, but, but the entertaining part is so that the promoter makes money and so that the, the performers can be paid. Like, like that's, that's the answer. There, there, is no, there is no extra goal. There is no special goal. There is no, there is no end outside of that end. And it, it's, just, it's just for that. And I think we, we just see a similar thing in politics and religion right now, right? Like politics and clergy people, you know, of these major mega churches or, or evangelical groups. Like, is it power? I mean, not really. They don't have any, I mean, they have power, but, but there is no strategy to have ultimate power. That's not really what they care about. You know what I mean? If they wanted ultimate power, they should be convincing all of us, not, not one small dying group of people, you know? Like this isn't about ultimate power. It, it's kind of just about well, why, why are you guys doing this? Well, it's how I make money. It's really that simple, I think. You know, and there's no extra, there's no extra goal. There's, you know, I, I don't think uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene thinks that the world will be better. Like, like, like we'll have the greater good is served if everybody believed in Jewish space lasers or <laughs> weren't vaccinated or stopped wearing masks or, you know, storm the Capitol. I, I don't think she thinks it'll be better. I don't think that matters to her because uh, it's a work. It's not a work towards a goal. It's just, it's just a work for money. Like, like all jobs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, there's, there's really something to be said. Like I, the way that we talk about jobs a lot on this podcast is that like, we have to consider being a pastor as a job in order to like maintain our sanity in the job. Um, but like for, for Marjorie Taylor Greene, like that this is just a job and this is just a way that you make money, but it is actually like the opposite of maintaining sanity. Uh, right. we're, we're working with very different parts of the, the employment system. <laughs> um, yes. But Man, I, you know, that's, that's something that uh, I wonder if that'll be the legacy of Trump, because I think, I think a lot of people had a lot of cynicism about politics and about how all politicians were just really putting on a show in order to maintain their status or to make money off of people. I mean, to make money off of the stock market from having like insider trading tips or whatever, Nancy Pelosi. Um, but I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna leave it in. Um, yeah, leave it in. Fuck her. <laughs> God, Pelosi. Anyway, uh, everybody, they're all a bunch of crooked fucking bastards. Uh, they're not. There are some people who are really <laughs> to try to fix things, but there's a lot of them that aren't. But I think that like Trump made it a circus and made it very clear that like, of course, this has been a show. It's been a show the whole time. I am here and I am just gonna show you what the show looks like. Like this... It, it really pulls back the curtain on how lies are created um, because they're just done without any skill <laughs> except for except for just riling people up um, and like to me right like 
the, Vince McMahon should have been fired and taken out at like I don't know who would fire him but like there should have been an uproar he should have been removed he should have had to like leave everything in shame he should not have won in court he should be in jail he caused someone's death um right. but instead still doing his thing um yep. and we and we all see it you know and and that, that I think is part of the, yeah, that's kind of been the theme of these two episodes is that like, we all know something's wrong in so many, in so many places in our lives, but it's just like, what, what are we supposed to do? Like people are not held accountable for their actions. And, and we also really struggle to, to actually see what's happening, especially when there's entertainment involved. And like, let's be honest, so much of politics right now is, is entertaining in a way, instead of like, caring for people i I, yeah yeah (sighs) i like i i want to draw like a clear through line about like and say something profound about empathy but i'm really just like floored by human depravity right now (laughs) i don't like what the fuck anyway no you're right you're right and uh you know i think i think that's what kind of makes all this kind of scary to me like like i like i love pro wrestling i love i I love it i really do and and i recognize just how kind of awful it is you know its history has some awfulness to it um and i think that it has tools to be able to help us uniquely understand the last four years into now because of the sort of unique way in which Trump is a pro wrestler, you know, <laughs> the, the unique way in which Trump sort of uses this, as you said, like makes it into a circus, into a carnival, you know. Um, but I, I can't help but like kind of be nervous and scared too, like where when I, as I think about my love for pro wrestling and the way in which it all kind of right like we talked a few episodes ago we talked about rick rude and mr perfect Mm -hmm. about tactics you 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 kept talking about tactics which i think makes sense right like the the tactics of pro wrestling to do what it does you know are are ultimately in a lot of ways it's not that they can't be abused but like the concept is not wrong you know, well, it's a lie. I'm like, we, that's just a, that's just an argument against all forms of fiction, my friend. Right. Yeah, like, like, don't, don't give me that. You know, if, if pro wrestling is bad, then fiction is sort of bad. Fiction is a concept, you know, TV is a concept, movies is a concept, but like all of those tactics when used to destroy the earth <laughs> or, or harm human lives or or steal or cheat you know and all of these things like uh cheat regular down and out vulnerable human beings out of their things and lives and health like well now we're just talking about now we're talking about something very evil you know we're talking about something very real and being worked into rowdy 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 piper working himself into a shoot so that he pisses everybody off so much that somebody jumps the barricade to stab him, you know, which is a real thing that happens. Or like, or like, uh, 
you know, CM Punk, who's not one of my favorite wrestlers. CM Punk is a relatively contemporary wrestler, was doing a satanic cult leader gimmick a few years ago. And at a live event in Madison Square Garden, uh, a 60-year-old woman smacks him across the face and tries to pray the devil out of him. Like wow. in, in like 2011, 2012, 2013, this happens. And wow. CM Punk looks at his buddy who's wrestling with him and he goes, we did it. <laughs> you know? We did it. We figured it out. We were in their brains. You know, like, like that's fine and great and impressive. But like, not if CM Punk also has, you know, nuclear warhead codes. Right. You know, not if CM Punk you know, or any wrestler, any person who uses these tactics also has the ability to, you know, rob the earth of, of its life. Um, trickster characters, you know, you've brought this up too. And I've, and I've been thinking about it since uh, I finished Old Gods and, and started listening to the Jack character, right? And Old mm -hmm. Gods, like trickster characters are great unless they're evil. Like unless unless they're actually evil, like unless they unless they amass enough power to stop being tricksters and they're really just overlords and rulers, you know, that's why that's why the only way people could like Loki is if he stopped being if he stopped trying for world domination. Yeah. You know? Like like that's that's the answer, uh, because when they're when they're going for world domination, suddenly it's 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 not entertaining anymore you know it's frightening and bare and bad yeah the stakes matter with yeah. all this um yeah and i i think that's something that we i like i'm thinking back to the, like the provability of of god conversation about like uh, what we what ways of knowing we're willing to let into an argument uh and i think sometimes when we think about tactics we want it to be always right or always wrong right it's always right. bad to lie well what if you're hiding jews from the nazis you know like the context matters the stakes matter when when you're trying to think about what tactics tactics to use and what's good and what's bad and all this kind of stuff but but i do think that like a through line of all of this is that like love of money is the root of all kinds of evil um and and that like it I, like I don't want to blame everything on capitalism. I I don't want to blame everything on money either, because some people yeah. will do things. Lo love of money was the root of all evil before there was such a thing as capitalism. Right, and then capitalism well. like systematized it, right? Right. <laughs> um, and carried it forward on the back of of colonial empires that we have in no way healed from. Like I. God, I wish that I could jump like a thousand years in the future where we are fully out of this era and be able to see, be able to see it in its entirety and then be able to jump back and make the changes that we need to make. But right. yeah. And, and I think that like there, there could be a way for people to, for, for somebody to be trying to like scam somebody out of money and have it be fine if there was also like consequences for people's actions when, when har real harm is being done. You know, like losing $10 in a shell game, there's not a lot of harm being done there. You know, like that's a fun little trick. Okay, we're fine. Causing somebody to plummet to their death, 
well, this is a different level, you know? And right. Yeah. Oh gosh. It, yeah. <laughs> I like, and there's a, there's a lot of like big picture wheels turning in my head and again, nothing like concrete is coming out of my mouth, but I, I, there's something really there to, to poke around with. I, You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Uh, let's end on a lighter note. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so here's another wrestling slang thing for you to use in your day-to-day lives. Um, re- wrestlers who exist in order to lose uh, are called jobbers. Um, and so like a jobber is just somebody who just flops around to, to lose. Like that's the answer. Like, like, and there are lots of jobbers out there and that's an important position in pro wrestling. Jobbers are not paid like shit. They're paid well because jobbers, their entire career is centered around making people look good, you know, and, and then, and then losing safely. Um, but the reason why they're called jobbers is because losing a pro wrestling match is called doing the job. <laughs> yeah. um, and so that's, that's the, that's the, uh, the slang term. Uh, well, are you doing the job tonight? Yeah, I'm doing the job tonight, which which means I'm losing. Um, um, by the way, these slang terms come up in order to protect the business. That that that's why they exist, right? That's why you know, kayfabe, working, shooting, doing the job, all of that exists so that when people are at a bar and they're talking about and they're pro wrestlers and they're talking about what they're doing, you know normies like us theoretically won't have any idea what they're fucking talking about you know <laughs> like oh, like that that's the point that's why it comes up uh nowadays it's not that but back in the day that's why it exists um so uh i have two funny things one is related to that the other one is not but it's similar and it'll make you laugh uh when hulk hogan returns to wwe in 2005 he he returns in a post 9-11 post iraq war well in the midst of the iraq war uh time period and hogan's sort of patriotic gimmick is is bumped up to 11 and so hogan always comes out there was this angle that hogan did where for a little while where hogan was fired this is an angle this is in kayfabe hogan gets fired and says he can't, he's not allowed to come to the building anymore. And so a masked wrestler named Mr. America started coming to the building, which is <laughs> Hulk Hogan in a mask. Like it was quite obviously Hulk Hogan in a mask. He posed like Hulk Hogan. It was the same, it was the same thing, but it was Mr. America. And uh, I told you a few episodes ago about the Shawn Michaels versus Hogan match during that time where Shawn Michaels made Hulk Hogan look cartoonishly strong by bumping his ass off obnoxiously. Yes. Um, Shawn, you know, Shawn Michaels comes out first. The crowd's really into this match. They're so excited to see Shawn Michaels wrestle Hogan. And then Hogan comes out and Hogan comes out. And as he's coming out, they drop an American flag that's like 50 feet long just down around Hulk Hogan and like red, white, and blue fireworks are shooting off. The crowd is going crazy and nuts. And, uh, and Jim Ross on commentary says, well, I wonder who's doing the job tonight. 
around. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which he which he got super in trouble for saying because you can't say that. Like you can't you can't make that comment on 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 your wrestling show. Gee, I wonder who's doing the job tonight. And Sean's just like, yeah, you know, it's me <laughs> doing the job tonight. I can't, I can't beat Mr. America. That's not allowed. Um, uh, really funny. Here is a story that it all, it's, it's another police and wrestling story, and it's quicker than the, than the first one, but it will bring a smile to your face. Okay. Uh, in the 70s, there's a, a pretty famous world champion uh, named Harley Race. Harley Race is uh, uh, you know, multi-time national wrestling alliance world heavyweight champion wrestled everywhere you know with all kinds of people he he was sort of wrestling's first like really really tough guy like everybody was really tough during that time but like wrestling for a long time joe uh marketed it itself in this in this sort of clean cut way and so it's not it's not that there weren't gimmicks that had you know that were like hairy and stuff but like or or like gimmicks that were like really violent but they were more like sideshow attractions in wrestling uh the really serious wrestlers were all clean cut and took like you know promotional photographs like in front you know like like with towels around their necks like sitting on benches or or like stools and they all and with the same kind of trunks like they all sort of look the same and Harley Race was one of the first wrestlers with tattoos. Hmm. You know, he, he didn't have a ton of them, but he had he had visible tattoos on his forearms and wasn't really clean cut, you know, and kind of had this hairy chest. And, you know, his he was he was just tough. He, he looked tough. That was his gimmick. He was tough in real life. Um, there's a number of great Harley Race stories back when Jim Ross, Jim Ross broke into the business as a referee. And Jim Ross tells a story where uh, one of Jim Ross's first matches he ever refereed was a Harley race match. And Jim Ross is like, yeah, I'm in the locker room and Harley's back there. He's smoking a cigar, you know, and he's just, he's just kind of hanging out in the locker room. And, and the guy he's wrestling, Jack Briscoe is there too. Jack Briscoe is just relaxing in the corner. And he's like, he's like, Harley race looks at him and goes, kid. You're the ref for the match. He goes, uh, yes, yes, Mr. Race. Yes, sir. And he's like, how do you count? W what do you mean? Get on your knees and do a three count. Ross <laughs> <laughs> gets on his knees and counts to three. He like does, does the, like his one, two, three. And Race is like, do it that speed every time and you and I won't have any problems. And the reason why he has to do, say that is, that's how rep, you know, wrestlers will judge like a kick out, right? Like mm -hmm. if he goes too fast, he might, he might not kick out in time, you know, before, before they get to the finish. And, uh, and Jim Ross uh, was so nervous that he fast counted uh, and he ruined Harley races finish in that match. And, and Harley race jumped up. And 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 like and whispered to him, you better run out of this ring now, boy. And then like Jim Ross, like Jim Ross, like runs for his life. 
and Harley Race for the rest of his career never worked with Jim Ross again. Like he blackballed Jim Ross for the rest of his life. Like wow. he'd come into to the point where it became like a joke. Like and Jim Ross talked like that. He goes, I was at I was at Harley's uh, daughter's wedding. Like we became friends, but like you know, as I became a commentator or a or a booker or whatever, like Harley Race is like Jim can't comment on any of my matches. Get a replacement, you know, and and like and Jim Ross would take the the the, the match off for Harley, and it was very silly. Anyway, Jim Ross, uh, a young another younger wrestler who I can't think of, and Harley Race are driving to make a booking in uh, Texas. The Texas Loop is what it's called because back in the day when you know you, you're and and you're working the Texas territories, you are constantly on the road because texas is massive and and you just gotta you know you're making a fort worth dallas you know san antonio like you're just driving constantly to make these dates and harley race always drove that was his thing harley race is like i'll drive and and no matter who he was driving with so jim ross is in the 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 back seat and another wrestler is in the passenger seat uh, with Harley, and it's that wrestler's car. Harley didn't have a car, and so Harley's like, "I'll drive." He's like, "Well, it's my car," and he's like, "I'll drive." <laughs> They're like, "Okay, okay," <laughs> and so he's driving Texas, and he's driving like 120 miles an hour, like just flying down down like you know these roads in Texas. And uh, Jim Ross's job during that ride was to open up cans of beer for Harley race. Oh no. <laughs> that was the job. <laughs> so, so he'd finish a beer. He'd reach his hand back and Jim Ross would open up a new one and hand it to Harley race. Harley race would drive flying on 20 miles an hour, drinking an open beer, you oh, know, at God. like one in the morning in Texas <laughs> and they're flying and they're flying. Um, well, eventually the driving became so erratic and so fast that the Texas State Troopers have to pull them over. And Jim Ross is like, Jim Ross sees that the cops are coming. He's Jim Ross is like, I'm in my early 20s. I'm terrified. You know, I've never been pulled over before. I'm from Oklahoma. And Oklahoma is, is a tough place, but I'm I'm a prissy little boy. I went, I went into show business, guys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> come on, give me a break, you know. <laughs> and and uh they pull over and the cops are getting out of the car and they're walking over to to, Har to the car that Harley's driving in. And Harley looks at Jim Ross and the younger wrestler and he's like, the worst thing that could happen to Harley Race is if it got out that he complies with police orders. And he gets out of the vehicle and he is just publicly like like publicly uh uh not intoxicated but like just is reaming the police apart is not listening to the police is screaming at the police telling them to get out of his way telling them to let him go because he's harley fucking race and harley race does not take shit from anybody <laughs> And and if it, they found, like he said, if they if anybody ever found out that he like was like yes sir to the cops, 
big trouble because that ruins kayfabe. It ruins the gimmick. Right. And so Jim Ross is is like, I'm peeing my pants. Like, I'm shitting myself because we're all going to go to prison. Like, <laughs> I can all see it. You can see it happen. Harley, in the name of, in the name of, of keeping kayfabe, is going to send us all to jail or get us all shot. You know, and, and Jim Ross is like, I swear to God, they're, they're begging Harley to stand down. One of the cops knows he's Harley Race. Like, one of the cops recognizes him from TV. And he's like, and he's like Mr. Race, you need, to st- you need to stop. You need to stop what you're doing or we will, we will fire and we will tase you. And, and he's like, you won't, you won't tase me. You know who the fuck I am. I'm Harley fucking race. I'll beat your ass. You know, and they're, they're all talking. And so, and Jim Ross is like, so the cop, what the, the cop takes the stun gun out, shoots him. The nodes fire into Harley race's chest. Harley race looks down at the nodes. We're hearing everything going off. He looks back up at the cop and goes, you dumb pigs and rips the nodes off of his body. Holy cow. <laughs> and, and the police officer who recognizes him it's like holy you know and, and like the cops like the cops like we're very sorry sir we're very sorry mr race you know what like we'll let you over the warning we're just get back in the car and go and like he pulls the cut, like the, the cop who recognizes Harley, like pulls the other cop away, and they like drive away. And Harley Race gets into the vehicle, looks at Jim Ross and the other guy, and goes, "Man, that hurt like a son of a bitch." <laughs> <laughs> and they just drive away. What in the world? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I couldn't fall over. I mean, you know how embarrassing that would have been. <laughs> Harley, That's Harley race. Is real pain. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, I love it. Oh, that, that is good. That is good. And the cop, in that moment, the cop's like, "Wrestling is real. <laughs> this guy's gonna kill us." <laughs> He's the toughest son of a bitch on planet Earth. We're tasing him. He's just ripping it off his body. Oh, man. Harley's like, God, that hurts so bad. (laughs) (laughs) That hurts so bad. That's so good. There you go. That's my my lighthearted story. Well, friends, thanks for listening to uh, this mini-sode of What the Hell is a Pastor. We are Spanks Reebok and the Dude, and we will see you next time. (laughs) 